gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke's gospel, beginning in the 19th chapter of the 28th verse. And Luke wrote these things. After saying these things, Jesus headed straight up to Jerusalem. And when he got near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olives, he sent off two of his disciples with instructions. Go to the village across from you. As soon as you enter, you'll find a colt tethered, one that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says anything, or if anyone says anything, asks, what are you doing? Say, his master needs him. So the two left and found it just as he said. And as they were untying the coat, its own, the colt, its owner said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they said, his master needs him. They brought the colt to Jesus, and then throwing their coats on its back, they helped Jesus get on. As he rode, the people gave him a grand welcome, throwing their coats on the street. And right at the crest, where Mount Olives begins its descent, the whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works that they had witnessed. Blessed is he who comes, the King in God's name. All's well in heaven. Glory in the high places. And some Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, get your disciples under control. But he said, If they kept quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? On this journey of life, O oh God, be our companion, be our guide. Show us where to go. Wherever we are in the journey from birth to death, grant us your peace. We thank you for each other, our companions on the journey of faith. And we pray for those with whom we travel on this planet as it makes its rounds of the sun. Bring us together to a new world of peace. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. A lot of energy in this place. And I know it may not seem so to you right now, but Palm Sunday today, to me, is a scary day. You know, I know it's a lovely story, it's a wonderful story, really, anything but scary. Jesus is received by the people in and around Jerusalem shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I don't think you can easily escape the scariness of this story. You can't avoid the dark and menacing events that Palm Sunday now sets in motion. An innocent man is about to be murdered. And I think if we're honest, it seems all the more shocking to us because God is aware of it and nothing is done to stop it. Now it would probably be the easiest to just preach on the Hosannas and 
people shouting and singing and waving their nice little palm branches and we could just look at the story and be reminded once again of how important it is to offer worship and praise. And then we could just come back again next Sunday and talk about the glory of Easter resurrection. We could just move from Sunday to Sunday and skip the rest of the messy stuff in between. We could just remain silent about pain and suffering in our life. Just don't talk about it. Like so much of the pain in our lives, we just don't talk about it. You know how we just cover it up by trying to wear a smile from week to week, but we just can't do that this morning. Because we know that this crowd changes by the end of the week, and for the most part turns against this same Jesus and demands his death. So let's just look at this parade for a bit and see where it leads us. Now I think we know that the people of the time living under Roman oppression were well acquainted with parades. But this Jesus parade, it was different. No big beautiful white steeds, they're replaced by a beast of burden, an untamed donkey. No gleaming chariots and colorfully clad armies, these were replaced by the least among the people, wearing rags and just moving in free form. The pace was different. These folks didn't just march by in some sort of orderly fashion, but they danced and sang and shouted at the top of their lungs as they prepared the way openly for the one that they proclaimed to be the Messiah. Now notice, please, that it's not the city or the throngs that lined the streets that screamed and shouted and sang their adulation, but in Luke's story, this was the work of the crowd that had followed Jesus and the very close disciples themselves. And Luke paints a wonderful picture of this day for us. The story, as Luke tells it, is less crowded and more subdued than the other accounts of this day. In Luke's telling, this event is primarily an event of and for believers. And its meaning lies in Jesus and their absolute faith in him and who they believed him to be. Now events will spin out that will test these folks further and some will fall away. But at this moment in the story, they are right. It is the disciples who go before Jesus to secure the colt. It is the disciples who place their garments on the colt and lift Jesus upon it. It is the disciples who spread their garments on the road for the colt to step on. And it is the disciples who take up shouts of praise and rejoicing. It is not the work of a crowd simply overcome by the moment, but an event brought about by those who had seen and been through much with Jesus. Those who can no longer contain their pronouncement. Listen, all of Jerusalem, let there be no mistake. Here comes our long-awaited Messiah. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. For all that they brought to the dance, for all that they understood, and all that they didn't, they had this one right and Jesus allowed their proclamation. 
and breaking their silence, the Pharisees in what would be their last appearance in Luke's gospel came forward and said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Imagine that being the last words of the Pharisees. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replies, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And I suppose that answer plunged the Pharisees back into their silent, watchful, worrisome vigil. Now some of the folks who lined the streets were watchers. Folks who just so wanted to believe that this might be true, but they just didn't know what to believe anymore. And circulating among them all was the intelligence operation of the powers of the temple. And you can almost see their eyes twinkling. For this was the Passover. And it meant that all the city would be bustling with activity as people came from all over the countryside to be at the temple. All of the people would be loosely assembled in one place. And for those who worked to sway public opinion, this is the most opportune time to be about their business. And inside of one week's time, we know that they would succeed. Because no self-respecting Jew would want to glorify a man who associated innate with sinners, who didn't observe correct Sabbath behavior, who forgave prostitutes for crying out loud, who told puzzling stories, who taught that even the most vilest of sinners could speak to God directly, and who taught that God was more concerned with hearts than with sacrifice, who saw all of creation as having inherent worth and unbelievable potential, who taught that sinners and tax collectors and the lame and the deaf and the blind and the lepers and the homeless and the addicted were folks just like them, no better, no worse, just children of God. So the plotters went to work because surely every respectable person could see that this acceptance of chaos in their nicely ordered worlds wouldn't work. The idea of open arms instead of a call to arms would never do for someone claiming to have all the answers, claiming to have the vision to lead a normal folks of the day back to a right relationship with God and away from Roman oppression. It was into this shiftiness, this destructive plotting that Jesus wrote, going all in. He rode an unbroken donkey and gave them an out-and-out -out glimpse of what peace was really all about. But we know that in the end, not even those who sang and paraded understood the message and the meaning of peace. And folks, in this election cycle, I ask you, do we? If we truly know what makes for peace, how do we stand idly by while our Congress approves a military budget of billions of dollars? People claim that we need a strong defense, which apparently now knows no borders. But if we continue to be preoccupied with that, and figuring out ways now to erect walls at our borders, are we ever truly occupied with what makes for peace? Is this the example that Jesus gives us? No chariots, no armies, no missiles or Uzis or armor-piercing weaponry, but an unbroken donkey in the middle of the oppressed, the homeless, the hungry, and the sick.
I ask you this morning, would Jesus use billions of dollars to arm his people? Claiming the best defense against any outside threat is to have a sufficient deterrent force? Is this what makes for peace? And by standing idly by, we participate in these attitudes just like the crowd so easily swayed in one week's time. We allow ourselves to feel unimportant, overwhelmed, insignificant, powerless to fight for any peaceful change. And these are the exact same attitudes that allowed normal people to get stirred up to shout not Hosanna, but crucify him. Crucify him. Today, I believe we stand in a place where so much more is expected of us because we know the rest of the story. We know what happens. We know that Easter is on the other end of this week, yet we stand and watch the parades of our own times. The parade of the homeless and the hungry, of the jobless, of oppressed people who are known to their governing body as only a number. And we still have our parades of God's ragtag people, and in the middle of these parades, I believe that Jesus still rides an unbroken donkey, allowing stones to cry out because we surely don't. These are his people. It has always interested me that at the start of such a painful week is a parade. <laughs> And all through this week, we will see people drawn to Jesus who then resist him or try to change the story, avoid the consequences, or ultimately betray him. And the fact is that most of the disciples ran away rather than face suffering and death. They just didn't like the way it was turning out. But folks, our faith is ultimately not an escape from reality. It draws us into the reality of this world as Jesus who is truly one of us and Jesus who is a piece of God confronts and submits to the worst human beings could possibly do in order to give us the grace to be the best that human beings could possibly be. Jesus dies. He really dies. An agonizing and dreadful death. And for a few hours when the last journey this week holds is over, we'll be left with a dead Jesus in a tomb. There's no Easter in the lessons for today. Nor will there be all week. But I believe unless we walk these paths, leaving our comfort zones, our self-satisfactions, daring to walk beyond safety into the shadows of evil and death, even carrying Jesus to the tomb, we will not even begin to grasp the power of the resurrection. And strangely enough, I've come to believe that this is the stuff that makes for peace. Amen.